Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 418 of the podcast. It's June 16th, 2021. We've got two guests today joining us from Munson Healthcare in Northern Michigan. They are Caleb Foss and Butch Bowlby, and you'll hear more about them. But today we've got this great combination of the continuous improvement manager and a pharmacy director. They're going to be talking about lean and continuous improvement at Munson. We're going to talk about what it means for them to have a management system or an operating system. Um, how they've focused on culture change and safety. And they're also going to talk a lot. We're going to have a long conversation about setting up mass vaccination clinics and how they got that set up for employees in just six days. So I think it's a really fascinating um, story that they tell. And you can find show notes, links, a transcript, and more at leanblog.org slash 418. Thanks for listening. And I also want to give another thanks and a shout out to our sponsor, for the first half of the year, they are Styles Associates. We're joined by Caleb Foss. He is Continuous Improvement or CI Department Manager. And we're also joined by Butch Bowlby. He is the System Director of Pharmacy. So Caleb, Butch, thank you for joining us. How are you? Great. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having us. Look forward to having a great discussion with you today. So I'm going to ask you to, you know, each will learn a little more about your backgrounds individually. Um, but but could uh, one of you tell us a little bit more first about Munson Healthcare as an organization? Yeah, Munson Healthcare is a system of nine hospitals in northern Michigan. Um, we serve about 30 counties, approximately 450,000 residents. Uh, um, in regards to, we have over 70 medical specialties. Uh, we have over 700 licensed beds in our system. Um, also, where you have a opportunity to serve our long-term care patient population of over 260 beds there, over 1,000 physicians, and approximately uh, about 8,500 employees. So, uh, very we have an opportunity to really serve our communities in a way that, um, as a collection of system hospitals. Well, thanks. So, you know, I'd like to hear. I like to ask guests, um, if you will. Like what, what's your lean origin story or you know, what, what are your roots personally of continuous improvement? How did you get, get exposed to this? Why does it resonate with you? Um, Caleb, maybe we'll have you go first on that. Sure, roots for me uh, started back in uh, manufacturing uh, where I had an opportunity to work on some exhaust gas temperature sensor lines um, with a company called Stone Ridge in Lexington, Ohio. And um really got some exposure to mechanical engineers working on the deployment side of lean. From there, I uh, really had an opportunity to connect with my uncle uh, as, a, as a Lean Six Sigma black belt and really just started to get further interest in, in lean concepts in general. And then from there, I had an opportunity at Florida Hospital to really uh, go through their particular green belt training um, led by Charlie Morrison. And from, from there, really escalated to um, process improvement consultant in the regards to um, in Amita Health in the Chicagoland market and now at Munson Healthcare, um, where we've really had an opportunity to uh, our lean journey over the last five years. So really looking forward to um, the journey ahead for Munson Healthcare um, and 
really what lean is to me is really about respect for people. And if we can ensure that we're showing respect to others, uh, we can move all along together in a much more succinct way. Yeah. And, and that principle of respect for people and the actions that come with it, that to me, that's part of what's very transferable from manufacturing into healthcare. As we're going to hear from Butch soon, um, you know, Butch has uh, had a career in healthcare. Um, and, and we'll maybe get to explore some of those connections of, of what's transferable. But, but Caleb, one question, follow-up question for you is, like, what, what was that spark that led, what was that moment that led, from, led you to go from manufacturing um, into healthcare? It really is about the people. You know, um, in manufacturing, you know, you know, it's about the widget. And in and, and here, in healthcare, it's really about taking care of the patient, take care of people, and, and working with alongside those caregivers who are taking care of people at a time where they, you know, they really don't, um, they don't want to be in a hospital, but we're here to serve them. And so they're at their worst sometimes. And so uh, that respect for humanness, uh, that's really the spark um, to connect with people in a different way, to assist in a way that, you know, I'm not non-clinical. But however, we have an opportunity to impact the front line and the patient at the bedside uh, through continuous improvement. Yeah. And, you know, I think and part of what's transferable, even in an environment where we're making widgets, taking care of the people in the factory leads to better performance um, for customers and, and all around for the organization. Um, but I guess, you know, just coming back to that question real quick, like, did, had you been seeking out opportunities in healthcare? Did you, did a recruiter find you? I'm just always curious, like what personally for you, Caleb helped get you, um, you know, into a slightly different, in, well, into a, a different career direction in a different industry? Yeah. Well, um, you know, I had an opportunity. My aunt has been a nurse for several, several years. Um, and she really has a, a knack for um, trying to, you know, t- obviously take care of individuals. So I had an opportunity really kind of fell in my lap as far as it really started in healthcare as a PRN front desk registrar um, and really had an opportunity to um, start connecting with patients at that level, um, specifically in medical and radiation oncology. And so you learn a lot about patients and their, um, their needs and be able to support them in a really difficult time. So the, that opportunity really just presented myself um, uh, at Florida hospital. And I really had an opportunity to accelerate my career in healthcare. Well, good. I'm glad you had that opportunity, Caleb. So let's um, let's turn over to Butch Bowlby here again. He was a he is the system director of pharmacy. Butch, tell us a little bit about your background professionally, and then at what point did you get introduced um, to lean practices? Sure. Um, so I'm a pharmacist by trade. I also have a, a master's degree in healthcare administration, and I'm kind of unique, maybe as a system pharmacy director. And then I spent about half my career in business development, um, kind of operations finance with retail health, and then the other half in, in hospitals. I had a clinical uh, position when I was younger, and I've been in administration uh, for a couple of health systems towards the back end of my career. As far as lean training goes, for me, it's it's been on the job. Um, the health systems that I, I, I worked for employed lean principles. In addition, my work in business development, you know, lean, lean was part of that as well. I, I will say um, I've got a crash course this last year working almost on a daily basis with Caleb over the pandemic and, and in particular with our, our vaccine program up here in northern Michigan. So 
for me, it's, it's been very, very interesting. And, and, uh, when I, when I think of lean, there, there are a, a, a lot of applications within pharmacy, quite frankly. Um, I think first and foremost about patient outcomes and, and patient safety, but then we look at inventory management. I run a significant drug budget. Um, you know, it, it's one of the highest line items in, in any hospital. Um, you know, we're constantly thinking about waste. So, you know, the, the, the lean principles in my day to day are certainly applicable. And I love how you point out, you know, that, that collaboration that I've seen be so powerful in healthcare. I'm an engineer, non-clinician, partnering up with clinicians, whether it's a pharmacist or um, a lab director who is a, you know, a medical technologist or, or nurses or physicians, what have you. It's, it's, you know, I think it's it, those combination of perspectives when we've got aligned goals and focus on the people and the patient um, that, that leads to great things. It's interesting to me uh, at Munson uh, that with this dedicated continuous improvement department, it's, it's a resource I haven't really had a lot of access to. Um, like I said, it was, it was more on an informal basis. So, you know, I view Caleb and that department as just a tremendous resource. And I certainly advocate for my team to utilize, you know, that resource as frequently as I can and, and, and they can. It's been a tremendous help for us. It, it, it helps you, I'm sure, Caleb, and your team when there's pull for your uh, services and help, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, that's one of the things we're here to try to make good things happen for other people as well. And so the biggest thing here is uh, that pull. How do we respond as a CI team? What are your needs? How can we here to serve you? Uh, our leaders are our customers, and we try to, you know, we do what we can to serve what their needs are each and every day. So we'll have a chance to take a deeper dive in, into some of the work that you've done around uh, vaccination, but to help sort of paint the picture of the history and, and, and some of the foundations of this at, at Munson, I mean, how would you describe some of the approach? You know, the, the different organizations have different terminology or sometimes um, different flavors of lean and continuous improvement, if you will. Um, you know, how, how would you characterize, Caleb, um, the approach that that's taken there at Munson has it evolved in any way over time? Yeah, um, in Munson Healthcare, I mean, over the last probably 20, 25 years, we've always had some form of of lean. Our, our previous vice president was an industrial engineer by trade, and um, and so she has she brought um, those concepts into our health system. Um, that that's performance services or continuous improvement has always been. Um, kind of at the forefront here. However, um, you know, we made a concerted effort about five years ago to really talk about transformation and, and transformation in regards to starting with model learning areas um, with our central billing office, um, surgery, and our ED, starting with rapid improvement events, and then really working through uh, with ThetaCare and Catalysis to pull in uh, a lean management system, um, and then really have an opportunity to then make it ours. Uh, we we leverage the experts and those who came before us to really um, learn from them and really then apply to how does that make that ours in Munson Healthcare. And from there, we really had an opportunity to build um, the Munson Healthcare Alignment Framework. 
And that Munson Healthcare Alignment Framework really helped us align as an organization, and we're still aligning. Uh, however, you know, of our aligning to our purpose of we improve lives, looking at our operational True North metrics, uh, ensuring that we have our strategic vision and goals, and then the really the biggest piece here of how we're accomplishing lean in Munson Healthcare is our operating system, and our operating system is really consisted of six. Uh, core systems of goal setting alignment, visual management, problem solving, standard work, and our people systems of follow-up and accountability and individual and team development. And so our, that's how we're going to accomplish um, our outer aspects of our alignment framework. So that's our journey uh, till this date. And so we're still working through that evolution as we know transformation uh, definitely takes time and we're having fun doing it. Yeah. And it continue, it'll continue to evolve as you learn more, get new experiences, get input from others and maybe, you know, develop some new practices on your own. Yes, very much so. Yeah. So Caleb, looking back, you know, at, the, at this longer journey here, how would you describe some of the benefits or the results that you've seen at Munson Healthcare? Let's say, you know, there, there are people, um, I mean, I think a lot of people listening to this podcast already agree that lean is uh, helpful and applicable in, in healthcare, or maybe they wouldn't be listening otherwise. But let's say you had the opportunity to, to talk to somebody um, who's still considering the application of lean in healthcare. Um, you know, and they ask, okay, well, you know, why should we do this? You know, are, are you, you've talked about some of the general goals. Um, are, are there any specific benefits or results that, that you can quantify and point to? Yeah, I think the the biggest the biggest thing for me is we are trying to look at cultural indicators, and the the cultural indicators. What I mean by that is regards to how are our leadership teams and our uh, frontline teams behaving, if you will, and and the the things that we're hearing are you know what problem are we trying to solve? Is that addressing root cause? What metrics? Um, are you tracking to ensure that your countermeasures are effective? This 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 way of language uh, is really a, been a benefit, and we're starting to see that um, we're seeing increased uh, quality, increased safety, increased outcomes that are positive for our patients. Um, this is what it's all about, and so I think that the the aspect of cultural indicators for us is something that we're starting to hear in this, the language that our teams. And so I think the benefit of that is, is that we all are now speaking or starting to speak a common language. And that's what that operating system is trying to and intended to do. So that when we talk about goal setting alignment, leaders know what that means. Um, or we talk about problem solving, we know we're going to talk about at the highest level, plan, do, study, and adjust. And we're going to dive into an A3 when necessary. Um, you know, talking about, you know, we talk about our SBAR situation, background assessments and recommendations as a way we communicate. So uh, that language has really been key. And that's and that's been happening at all levels of the organization. And so those, are, I think, are some of the big cultural and benefits to our community and, and, and our leadership team and their development. You know, it sounds like all of that is a really helpful foundation um, in, in a way that's going to flow through to different metrics. And I, and I appreciate you know, you've both brought up patient safety as a primary goal. And, and, and I think, you know, keeping that at the forefront um, is really important. Um, you know, other organizations that you may have, you know, seen or, or, or heard about, um, I think sometimes put too much uh, focus on cost and efficiency. When I think, again, some of the lessons coming from manufacturing are keeping a primary focus on safety and quality and flow. And if we do those things, 
cost will follow. So is, has that become more of the discussion with leaders at different levels? I would say yes. I mean, uh, uh, looking at quality and safety, it's not only just about the patient, but also keeping our healthcare team safe. And so what are we doing to ensure safety for our teams? What are we doing? Not only just you know physical safety, but psychological safety, being able to speak up being able to increase the number of what our, you know, our system of voice reporting. So ensuring that we're understanding what are our near misses? How can we learn from the defects? How can we ensure that, um, you know, we can prevent these errors, um, you know, that do, that do happen in healthcare. I mean, that's the reality of it all. And so the better reporting that we have, the more that we know, the better that we can understand what problems are out there that our front lines are facing. And then how do we, you know, as leaders help remove those barriers um, that they're facing each and every day to ensure safety for them and the ones that they're taking care of. And and Butch, within the pharmacy realm, um, you know, does discussion of lean or this idea of um, you know an operating system within Munson Healthcare does that change any of the metrics that you're tracking, or is it just intended to um, help drive improvement in things you're already measuring? You know, I, I think it does change the metrics. And, I, you know, I, I kind of think of it as, as an evolution, and I've seen it in healthcare. You know, we're using, Caleb mentioned language. I mean, my, my department is using language that really wasn't utilized 10 years ago, quite frankly. We're constantly talking about standard work and alignment. And then, again, in healthcare, this, this focus on transparency, patient outcomes, and patient safety. It, Honestly, it's very exciting. And, you know, I have, I have dedicated people focused on nothing but patient safety. That necessarily wasn't the case 10 years ago, and it really isn't the case everywhere, you know, across the country. So to me, uh, what, what, what's interesting is the, the evolution in healthcare and, and, and you know, the, the lean applications there. Again, there's, there's language utilized in my department, lean language that, you know, really wasn't the, the case 10 years ago. And, and, and I think some of that language, as you referenced, Caleb, um, that I think is really important is around psychological safety. And I'll, I'll point listeners back to episode 356 um, from January of last year. I had an opportunity to talk with Professor Amy Edmondson from um, Harvard Business School, who's written uh, many articles, and she has a book called The Fearless Organization. And, you know, healthcare was one of the areas where she really did a lot of her research. Um, the, 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 the idea that um, organizations that had a higher number of reported errors were actually safer, right? So it's not, you know, it sounds like a conundrum, but uh, it's not that they had more errors, they were just being more honest, or they, they created a safer environment. I don't mean to imply somebody who doesn't speak up as being dishonest. Like that's a cultural organizational dynamic if people are afraid to speak up. Um, so I'm just curious if you have anything else that you would want to add around that theme of, you know, the importance of psychological safety. Well, I think it's, you know, I go back to another principle of leading with humility and our, our leadership team, um, is growing in that. I mean, because, you know, again, all growth requires vulnerability. So how are we putting ourselves out there to open them? I don't know everything. And so it's, and that's okay. 
And, and so we can collectively use our team's knowledge to help solve problems. Another aspect of our operating system is the improvement huddle. And so how are we also giving the frontline a voice to that so they can speak up to safety, they can speak up to quality, they can speak up to operational performance issues. So um, it's not, uh, it's, we have avenues for frontline to speak up and we're really working hard to encourage that. So let's shift direction a little bit and talk about some of the more recent work uh, related to setting up mass vaccination clinics and and sites. And and that's all evolved and changed quite a lot over um, the last couple of months. Um, So Caleb, maybe you you can start here. Um, If you, if you can talk about the challenge you were given and, and some of this initial vaccination setup and, 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 and Butch, I know you'll have, perspectives on that. I'd really like to hear, you know, more about, um, you know, the partnership as, as you had described it, Butch, but, um, but Caleb, maybe I'll have you go first. Yeah. We knew vaccines were coming, but we didn't know what it was. I don't think anybody in the country knew what, what this was going to look like. And so an organization, there were pockets of, of individuals working on the right stuff. What are we going to do about labor? What are we going to do about sites? What are we going to do? And, you know, I got the call Friday, I think it was December 11th, and it was like a three o'clock. We had an all leader meeting and it was like, all right, here's you have pretty much within five minutes. I was given the charge of the project manager and CM to help pull everybody together. And that was just, uh, you know, that first step was like, all right, how do we how do we accomplish this? The first question was, who do I need to involve right away? And so right away we got everyone together. Uh, and we had a plan and approach to uh, set up mass vax clinics for our employees within six days. Um, so that was kind of the task. Um, and then that involved with setting up, um, working alongside Bonnie Krushkar, VP of Ambulatory and CNO Services, uh, a call center. Um, so we had that call center uh, established and set up working with, with IT and corporate communications and messaging. And uh, it, the task was very large, obviously. Uh, so from that perspective, we had a call center established and set up within three days, email communication and uh, compass communication was on our main venues in our organization to communicate to team members um, and opened up a call center. Um, it was a beautiful sound to hear all those calls coming in, uh, ensuring that everything was working at 8 a.m. when we opened up those doors. Uh, and so from from that perspective, um, we had to figure out staffing. We had to figure out standard work and processes and what systems are we going to use? Um, how are we going to track measurements? What's our flow? How many individuals can we pull through a clinic at one time, tech time studies and um, overarching um, goals that we had set of uh, creating an equitable and safe deployment of vaccine administration across months in healthcare in Northern Michigan with zero harm and zero waste and administration of our vaccine, 90% of our allocation within seven days. I mean, we really had goals that we aligned to, and you'll still hear that today. And the, you know, Butch can speak to this about breaking that of around zero waste and the conflict we had with zero waste versus zero harm. Um, and so overall, I mean, that was the initial task is to really take the lead from the state's direction of where we need to start vaccinations and then um, apply that uh, project management and continuous improvement mindset with a, with a core team that we had set up. So, so Butch, what would you add to that? Do you want, do you want to talk about, um, I, I'm curious to hear more about 
this idea of zero waste for, versus zero harm. What was some of the dynamic or the the trade off there? Yeah, I would I would love to talk about that. One thing I, I do want to comment. Caleb mentioned the different pockets working on this prior to pulling everybody together under Caleb's leadership. But I was one of those pockets. And as this started to transition early December, I just started to realize along with some of my peers around the state, the enormity of of what we were facing. I I don't think people generally grasped it initially, um, but you know, the, 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 the zero harm, zero waste tenant, um, was kind of what drove everything. But in addition, we we kind of told each other vaccine drives everything. And that was another pretty big tenant for us. And that was so true from a pharmacy perspective. I mean, even before the vaccine was shipped, we started to hear we could potentially be getting Pfizer vaccine. And I think most people are familiar with the storage uh, requirements, these ultra freezers. I mean, these didn't exist in Northern Michigan other than a few small ones in labs for specimens. So, you know, trying to figure out, are we going to get Pfizer? Do I need freezers? Everybody in the country is trying to order these things. So, you know, right away, the challenges really started. I I didn't want to be the health system that couldn't get the vaccine because we, we didn't have a freezer. It sounds pretty simple, but there was a lot going on there. I think as it evolved, uh, we we didn't necessarily know what we would be getting. Are we getting Moderna? Are we getting Pfizer? How much are we getting? At that time, the state of Michigan just kind of auto-allocated. So, you know, how do you plan for that when you don't necessarily know what you're getting? Um, you know, initially, we, we talk about patient safety a lot. We had made a decision organizationally that we were going to segregate the vaccine that we would get. So a particular hospital would only get Pfizer and a particular hospital only get Moderna. And we we just felt that these vaccines were different enough that we really tried to segregate them that way. But that created a lot of logistic problems because the states weren't necessarily sending to those locations what what we had, you know, uh, you know, designed them for. Um, Accounting was a big issue. You, You heard a lot about five doses per vial for Pfizer versus six doses. Again, that sounds simple, but there's there's issues with that, that variability. Um, my main concern was second dose obligations to patients. We're pulling six doses out of these vials for first dose clinics, and then we can't do that for second doses. We're going to be short vaccine for people. So there was a lot of logistics really involved in that. Um, reporting to the state, the state continually, up until recently, um, accounted for Pfizer vaccine five doses per vial. Yet when we were administering, we were getting six. So my math never really added up when I was trying to report to the state or administration. Um, we we experienced some pretty significant changes in shipments. For example, for three weeks, four weeks, we stopped getting Pfizer just based on availability. So again, all that work that we put in place with these mass specs clinics kind of had to be adjusted a little bit. Um, deployment of people was a big one. You know, we didn't get extra people to stand up mass specs clinics um, from, you know, from the logistics portion to vaccine prep, administration, all that. And then um, another big one that's interesting for Northern Michigan was weather because we were doing this in the middle of winter um, on the shores of Lake Michigan. So, you know, the, the challenge list was pretty significant. Uh, 
looking back and taking a couple notes prior to this, I had to chuckle about some of the, the, the conversations that we had to have, you know, mm-hmm. there was a lot to overcome. There, there's a lot of detail and I I've heard time and time again, what, to what you were saying, Caleb, uh, getting six days notice, getting one week's notice of, okay, you got to be up and running at a high volume, go figure it out. Go. And the the challenges and the conundrum of you've got to schedule people for appointments, but you also don't know how much vaccine is coming. That's not really compatible. It's, it's, it's not ideal. Um, But, you know, everyone, uh, you know, did the best they can and then improve. You know, what I love hearing is, you know, the stories of improvement, um, that 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 can't that followed the initial setup. We do our best to design what we think is uh, a good process that's going to work well. But then you know we 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 learn, we identify things, we move forward. So, like for example, uh, Butch, you talk about this decision of you know this hospital is going to be Pfizer only, this hospital is going to be Moderna only. I could see where in some ways that would simplify things at each site. It would simplify, you know, as people come back for their second dose, you don't have the risk of um, showing up on, on the wrong day or, well, I need a Moderna second shot and you're doing Pfizer second shots today. But then what I heard you saying was the state was uh, alloc- shipping vaccine. Did you end up having to do some sort of reshipping within yeah, the Munson healthcare you know, system then? We, 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 we certainly did. I mean, you know, we uh, we we. We weren't necessarily getting the the quantity shipped to locations that uh, they needed to fulfill those 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 appointments, and and we certainly didn't want to kind of cap appointments if if we didn't have to. So there was a significant amount of of shipping uh, across Munson, um, and again, you know, like you, you think about that Pfizer vaccine. Then once we pull it out of an ultra freezer. You know, we, we've got a, a limited window to be able to utilize that. And, you know, our big tenant was zero waste. So we worked very, very hard not to waste a dose. Um, so, yeah, there was there was a lot of logistics involved in it, which is really out of the, the normal work for pharmacy. We do some of that, but not to the extent that that this pandemic called for. Yeah. So um, back to the freezers for a second. I mean, how 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 did that end up working out? Um, that, that, that scramble to, to come up with the ultra cold freezers. Yeah, we bought eight freezers. In fact, I got a couple for sale, but, uh, um, you know, we, we did have the capability of, of using Pfizer at all our sites, but again, we, we tried to sequester that to the best, uh, we, we could. Now we started to partner with, uh, some physician practices and that's a, pretty big evolution in the, the Munson vaccine program. So for example, there's a, 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 a privately owned uh, large practice in Northern Michigan. Uh, we allowed them to utilize one of these freezers that we weren't using. So, you know, they could ramp up and stuff like that. So we really took a regional approach. Buy eight ultra deep freezers. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then a lot of this has been evolving maybe just as, the medical community learns more and, and they have uh, more time to study this. I mean, you, you, you may have seen, um, it was just in the news I saw last night that the FDA now says it's okay to store the Pfizer vaccine at normal refrigerator temperatures for up to a month instead of 
Um, what what was it before? Hours or a day? Or it says it says previously it could be stored for up to five days. So I guess I guess this will help a lot. Absolutely, you know. And we think about it. We've got you know a pediatric population that's going to you know be able to utilize Pfizer vaccine. So this is going to make the logistics that much easier and the vaccine that much more accessible. So, um, and, and, and that may be very helpful, you know, maybe we'll, we'll come back and talk about other elements of the mass vax process design, but I know, you know a lot of parts of the country, the larger mass vaccination sites are being shut down and there's more of an effort to do, um, more distributed vaccination, find people where they are, pharmacies, doctors' offices, community um, outreach in different ways. How, how is that evolving now with, um, with your, in your communities? I'll go ahead and start. So one of the core pieces of why we feel we were successful was we, had, we established a vaccine steering team. And that steering team was led initially by our senior HR um, officer and our chief medical officer, and now has transitioned to our chief safety and quality officer, and uh, Joe Santangelo and Dr. Christine Nefsi and Sue Peters. And so from that perspective, we also collaborated with our local health departments. And so the collaboration there was a community approach we ensured that we were all on the same page. We were all in consistency of what we were working towards, sharing uh, knowledge and transferring that knowledge to our clinics. And so as we evolved from mass vax clinics, from employees to our community, uh, Butch, you can speak to this as well, but we, we were all doing mass vax. And so we noticed that there were some, um, you know, levels of thresholds that we were all, we're all doing the same thing. So how, how can we transition uh, our mass facts to help support the health departments. And then what is Munson Healthcare going to do differently? And so what we were doing differently was try to get into and work through getting into our physician network practices, both our own and our independent through our PHO and our NPOs, and really start collaboration with our patient panels and our primary care offices. And so that was really the, the next evolution um, of where we transitioned while mass fax clinics were still happening with the health departments. We were also working in to get into our provider clinics and still do that today. Butch, you have, have anything to add about kind of that evolution? How, how does that change your role or what, what as, as a pharmacy or what are your perspectives on that? Yeah. You know, uh, Caleb mentioned, I mean, we would have nightly meetings and health departments were, were represented, but that, that duplication at, effort was really apparent, you know, a, a, a few weeks into the health departments really setting up ro robust mass vax clinics. So our, our move to uh, the physician practices, I think was pretty unique, at least in the state of Michigan. Um, and it added just a, another avenue of, you know, vaccination for our region. It did create a lot of, again, logistical challenges for my department in particular, we went from a couple transfers across hospitals uh, to, you know, facilitate vaccine at a mass vax clinic to, you know, 30 to sometimes 45 transfers to the hospitals and then out to physician practices. Um, Caleb touched on that, that, that development of standard work. I think that was really, really critical in the rollout. 
you know, we were able to provide standard work to these practices. Now, you know, practices give vaccines on a daily basis, but there's a lot of unique aspects to this COVID vaccine that they weren't familiar with. So that creation of standard work, I thought was critical, but we've, you know, we've done tremendous work. I think we've been 18 weeks into our practices in our, 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 you know, private practices and our, our own practices giving vaccinations. So we were probably ahead of the curve on that. And the, the thing that's interesting to me on that is that we're, we've, we've kind of got the next evolution in place because these practices are going to have to have some form of COVID vaccine. So all that work is already in place and, and they're up and running on it. So we can just scale it down to the need at this point. So um, maybe we, we can go back and, and I'd, I'd be curious to talk through some of the detail of trying to shoot for zero waste. Um, if you can talk about some of the dynamics and the standard work that helped make sure once the vaccine has been thawed, that it gets used and doesn't go to waste. And then the dynamic of, let's say, the day of vaccination as it's being drawn up into syringes and vials or being... Um, when you're breaking the seal, I guess uh, or you're diluting that vial if it's the Pfizer. What were some of the things that you did from a standard work stamp perspective to make sure you didn't uh, have to throw away vaccine? I think one of the things was kind of creating a, a schedule that was, uh, you know, organized and known to everybody. So we knew a particular vaccine and what their schedule. Then also doing some footwork later in the day to make some phone calls to people to have folks on retainer, if you will. So, you know, if we end up with four doses, we wanted to have a, a number of people that we could call that they could come in and, and, and get a, a vaccine. And that didn't always work, but our staff oftentimes would be there one, two hours into the evening to, to everybody really, you know, treated this vaccination as a, and we, you know, I'm not aware of really any wasted doses because we couldn't get it into an arm early on. And, and I, I thought that was telltale of the dedication of our staff at these, uh, at these clinics that they, they went ahead and, and, and did that. We ran into some issues with weather. I know we lost one dose because it froze on the way out to the, the vaccination site. But I mean, those things were very, very minimum. And for the number of doses we've given, we, we still have, you know, very little waste within our system. But, um, you know, to, to answer the question about zero harm and, and zero waste, we, we had to transition over the last month to basically accept some collateral damage. So, you know, the state of Michigan was, was you know, gave a, a pretty clear message that, we no longer wanted to turn people away if they wanted to get a vaccine. So we may have to sacrifice a couple doses to, to get somebody that wants the vaccination and get them that shot right at that time. And, you know, our, our staff, we really had to do a lot of, of teaching with them to, to let them know that at this point along this evolution, we're okay and a little bit of waste. We have to accept that. So, yeah, the, that goal, uh, yeah, there would be harm possibly then in delaying the dose is what... Yeah, you're talking about there. That makes sense. We and ran I think into the, that that discussion a little bit too, with, for example, with trying to figure out how to take care of some homebound patients that were brought to our awareness. You know, if we only have three and we have Pfizer with six doses, 
what's the decision there? So it, you know, it, there's sometimes some conflict between zero harm and zero waste. Caleb, you were going to add. Yeah, I think, you know, the connection point. So one of the, the concepts that we leveraged was a standard shift huddle across our clinics. And so we knew what's the operations, who was working, which, which uh, position, um, what was our goals for the day. And so that collaboration, so there might've been, you know, um, in, uh, you know, upwards in the max facts, almost 80 people sometimes working those clinics. And so um, the communication was a, was a really core concept there and a standard that we shared across all of our max fax sites, which we ended up establishing about seven of those and um, making sure that there was that consistent communication and coordination of those vaccines. We also then would collaborate with the health departments on who could we call. We were we were very good at adhering to the the state recommendations on who we should be vaccinating, and that was some you know that was sometimes of a challenge. Uh, we we were trying to get to first responders. We were trying to get the teachers, um, and then trying to find those onesie twosies at the end of the night was very difficult for our regional community health leaders um, and really, uh, you know, went above and beyond what they needed to do to accomplish and make sure that we didn't waste and that we were vaccinating individuals the best we could. So there was a lot of firefighting heroic efforts there, but that was really, I think, necessary to the vaccine administration process at this time or at that time. And I imagine when you've got things that pop up and the need for firefighting is there, having a structure of huddles, having a foundation of psychological safety that helps people bring up these issues in a way that allows you to, if you can find a root cause and have things work more smoothly the next day. Right. Yeah, very much so. That was the learning. So we, if we needed to, we had, we had less escalation structure to be able to call our, our, our decision makers and our vaccine steering committee uh, to be able to say, hey, this is what we're facing. What can we do? Can we rally, signal, swarm, and solve around this problem? Um, and then from there, we would take that that cascade. We would have, you know, twice a day, you know, also connection point huddles with our, our leaders um, that would pull information to us to be able to say, all right, here's where we're at. Here's what we need. How can you help us? Um, and so we were that liaison to them to ensure that they had responses and our time to decision from a response of a, a, a highlight of an issue was, I think, pretty was, was pretty good. Um, so that, you know, we had that real time. So we didn't end up harming or wasting. Um, one other thing I thought maybe we could chat about for a couple of minutes here, uh, a different dimension to zero harm is, you know, uh, seeing reports in the news, um, rare, but, uh, non-zero, um, occurrences, uh, in different countries of two types of errors, One, um, patients being injected mistakenly with saline only because, you know, the the, the Pfizer vaccine, you know, comes in a vial, it gets diluted with an amount of saline, and then you're supposed to draw up, like you said, five or if you can get six doses out. And then there's been a a different error, a different failure mode where um, this happened, I think, at least reportedly most recently in Italy, where a patient was injected with an entire undiluted vial of Pfizer vaccines. So they got the equivalent of um, five doses. And, you know, unfortunately, these articles, you know, it's the headlines uh, and, and, and the article, you, you, you see the blame language front and center of what I would describe as systemic problems. If it's happening in all these different health systems, you know, if it's happening more than once um, by different people, 
to me, that screams systemic issue, that nurses are accustomed to drawing up an entire vial, um, that there, there are different habits or the articles talk about people being fatigued or distracted. I'm like, well, that comes back to, Caleb, what you brought up earlier, this idea of respect for humanity, of realizing whether we like it or not, people get distracted, we get fatigued. How do we design a good process that makes uh, you know, either of those errors impossible? So I'm curious if you have thoughts or if your standard work addressed, you know, how do you minimize that risk of confusion of has this been diluted or not yet? How do we make sure someone's actually drawing up from the diluted vaccine vial instead of drawing up from a saline vial? Was, was there uh, you know, standard work or error proofing that you had in place for that? I can tell you, we, we, we did have multiple people, um, professions, I mean, but primarily pharmacists um, working on the kind of the preparation of the vaccines, if you will, in a segregated area following standard work. So really for them, it's, it's kind of what they've been trained to do on a, a day-to-day basis. We, we use a lot of pharmacy technicians that essentially sterile compound for a living. So, you know, by following standard work, using professionals that this is really in, in their, their scope of day to day, in addition, in that segregated kind of quiet area, if you will, depending on where the vaccination clinic was at, I think really helped to, to mitigate any potential errors. Another piece was uh, around scheduling. So we tried to minimize the amount of time that individuals work. So we tried to limit uh, the amount of hours they worked. So it was either two or four hour shifts. And then, but that also leads to an opportunity of handoffs. So what does that look like? So ensuring that we have an on-site leader that is there to welcome and ensure that we know who they need to go to. You try to use visual management of our jackets of like, here's the leader, here's where this, uh, this particular person is, here's station one, station two, station three. Um, and ensuring that, uh, that if you did have um, an issue specifically in the cold too, we would, we would try to only allow individuals to be out there for 30 minutes to, you know, uh, uh, you know, and allow them to come back in warmth so they can make sure that they're, you know, their fingers and, and get warm again to, uh, to administer these vaccines. So we try to really deploy and really, again, I think it goes back to that respect to people of ensuring that we're taking care of them so they can take care of others. So, yeah, I mean, what, what you both described there, you know, um, having a separate area, helps prevent, minimize, or eliminate distraction. The shorter shifts help eliminate fatigue. So that's, that's great to hear. You know, the, the, the vaccine sites that I had the chance to visit generally had what I would call, as an engineer, maybe it's a little bit manufacturing language, um, you know, a subassembly area where vaccine syringes were being pre-filled and then delivered um, to the point of vaccination. Um, you could call it a feeder line or a feeder cell. And it seems like, you know, you could have good standardized work that's structured where, you know, if you have a handoff and and, and, and think of a, a flow of somebody is maybe doing nothing but diluting the vials. And then somebody is doing nothing but drawing from a diluted vial that you might eliminate some of the risk of confusion of like, what's the state of this vial or something um, being in the wrong place where I've, I've talked to others. I haven't seen this firsthand, but, um, there, there's been debate within some other health systems where the nurses are drawing up their own syringes. And like, for one, that, that seems to be slower. 
of you know the the how many vaccines they can do per hour, and it also seems like it introduces more risk of distraction or falling out of process. So I've talked to some other health systems where they've they've had a lot of um, it sounds like robust debate where the nurses were insistent that they draw up their own vaccines and there were others lobbying that we should really have pharmacy or specialized area. Like, you know, what I saw at a site here in Texas that was jointly set up and run by the city of Frisco and Toyota, they were really heavily utilizing um, EMS. And so they had tables where you had EMS staff doing nothing but diluting and filling and prepping the syringes so then they could be delivered, ready to use. So um, yeah, it's just interesting to hear how different organizations have sometimes had slightly different process designs to accomplish the same thing. More of a statement than a question. Sorry yeah, about it, that, but <laughs> no, that's fine. But no, and you know, again, we had to make some adjustments. You know, down to ensuring that we had uh, a small styrofoam cooler that we would make sure we had an, we had a plan and process for how many we would. Um, uh, draw up and then transport those outside because we try to have that consistency and temperature. Um, even if we're only walking, you know, maybe 50 yards and to, to again, help build into that process of consistency and also, you know, safe handling of the vaccine, um, et cetera. You know, and even something as simple as like a lot number that needs to be recorded using the same lot number at, a clinic versus, you know, using multiple lot numbers just creates that potential for confusion and, and air. And, you know, it, it sounds pretty simple, but it could really slow a, a, a process down if, if we didn't kind of pay attention to those types of things. So maybe one last thing we can cover here is some of the continued evolution and the shifts that you've seen. So you described earlier, um, you know, the vaccine just arrived. You didn't have the ability to order what you wanted or needed. And then, you know, we were in a situation of um, not having enough vaccine, vaccine supply being the bottleneck, and now that has shifted. I was wondering if you could talk about those two shifts and, um, you know, any impact that that's had on your process. You know, I could, I could jump in because it, it's really, that's a very relevant question right now. And we've, we've talked a lot about Munson's collaboration with our health departments in Northern Michigan. And, you know, that, that relationship is really paying benefits for what you're speaking to now. We're running into situations where the health departments and, and Munson, we've got more vaccine than we're probably going to use in the foreseeable future. And, we're looking at potential expiration dates for a lot of the vaccine that was, you know, shipped, you know, relatively recently. So we're looking at July where some of this is going to start to uh, expire. So now we're working closely uh, across the health departments and within months and to kind of create a tracking tool on that. So we are allowed to order directly from the state, but in our, uh, in our weekly meetings that we have with the health departments, we first talk about, who's got what, and I'm kind of a gatekeeper of that at this point with regards to vaccine that we are gonna to try to use regionally. So before we order from the state, we're gonna to try to use what we have up here, again, to prevent zero waste. So there's different pockets of needs around the region, and we're just gonna to try to push and pull that vaccine to where it's needed to prevent you know, any issues with expiration dates. And so you're, you're now, I mean, this is a more traditional pharmacy process where you place an order like you would for any other medication, right? 
exactly right. Um, you know, and it, it we're we're only in, in the state of Michigan two weeks into that at this point, so it's kind of relatively new for everybody, and we're figuring it out as is the state. Now I'm hearing uh, relatively soon that we'll be ordering directly from the manufacturers. Um, that isn't in place yet in the state of Michigan, but I think I think the state's going to try to get out of the vaccine distribution uh, game at some point here relatively soon. Sure. And and that's two weeks ago as of May 20th. Uh, that's the date we're recording this. Um, so, Caleb, I do you have some thoughts on kind of the shift of, of what Munson Healthcare, what the community is doing um, now that there is, uh, in a lot of cases, more vaccine than supply than there are patients showing up? What are some of the other things being done to try to help address that bottleneck, the new bottleneck, if you will? Well, one of the things is really addressing vaccine hesitancy. And so our leadership team and our chief medical officer are really um, focused and our corporate communications team are really focused on helping the um, community understand um, and address the hesitancy that we're seeing out there. Our health departments are working to even schedule and send out surveys. What's going on? Getting a pulse of the community. So we'll, we'll be hoping to receive some of that information this coming week from them and really trying to collaboratively address hesitancy. Um, and then um, we heard this morning on a call regards to um, the specific patient, new patient population that we're finding is that uh, the allergy. The, so they're allergic to some elements of that. So how do we have real-time vaccinations with those who go to an allergist to ensure that they can get vaccinated right then and there based off of the results from the testing? Um, and so I think that those are some of the core things. And then also working collaboratively, uh, one of the things we're trying to establish here is, is, a, is a basically a mobile vaccine um, clinic. And so most of our health departments are starting to do that. And we're starting to allow that for months in healthcare. We're starting to just do pop-up. We're just trying to get out to community events. We're really just trying to promote um, the availability, leveraging vaccine finders, making sure that we're promoting those, those opportunities to get vaccinated. So a lot of focus on vaccine hesitancy and then these, the patient populations that, uh, that are now in an in a opportunity for us to, to serve in a different way. Well, it's, it's, it's such important work um, they've been doing in general over time here related to continuous improvement in healthcare and, you know, even, even more meaningful, I think, during this era of, uh, of COVID and of vaccination and helping get us on a path, um, a path out of this. So, um, again, we've been joined um, today from uh, coming to us from Munson Healthcare Um our two guests, Caleb Foss and Butch Bowlby. Um, as, as we wrap up here, maybe I'll turn it over to each of you. If you've got either just a final thought that you would want to share or, um, you know, a reflection on um, maybe what you expect to happen with lean at Munson Healthcare in the future, if, if either of those are something that you might want to touch on to wrap up. Yeah, I think in general, um, our focus over the next 12 to 18 months is on two particular systems, and that's goal setting alignment and follow-up and accountability. Coming out of COVID-19 has been the focus of obviously every health system. And so what are we doing as an organization to respond to the change? How are we going to change differently as an organization? Um, you know, we have a lot of pent-up demand, if you will, for projects that are trying to uh, compete for, you know, our overall system resources. And so um, the biggest thing that we're trying to do is align and prioritize 
And how are we filtering that down to our corporate services and other departments to make sure that we are um, have an opportunity to execute towards those goals as an organization. Other comment that I would make is that, um, you know, just reflect. I think that the biggest thing for us is we try to reflect. We try to continuously improve each and every day. Uh, there's an opportunity for improvement in every occasion. And I just thank you, Mark, uh, for the opportunity to have the discussion uh, alongside you today. Yeah, well, Caleb, thank you so much for, you know, taking time away from that work to share about the work. Um, I really appreciate hearing uh, the perspectives and, and what you've been doing there. Um, Butch, do you have um, kind of a final thought to share? You know, I, I do. And, I, you know, one, just maybe a quick story. We, we pulled a, a number of recently retired pharmacists kind of uh, out of retirement to help with the, uh, with the vaccination and process. And one of these individuals, Mike Tyberg, is a longtime infectious disease kind of icon up here, if you will. And he's still involved in the process. In fact, I took my 15-year-old son in a couple of days ago to the health department and, you know, Mike Tyberg's there giving shots. And he and I talked a little bit about it as we seem to be winding down, but really re reflected that as a healthcare professional, the, the opportunity to work and really touch your community is a once in a life lifetime opportunity. And, you know, Mike's a guy that, you know, been doing this for a lot of years and really felt that. And I do as well. And I, I try to share that with, with everybody that we work with around here, that when this is all said and done, I, I really think we're going to feel good about what we did for, for the public. And then, you know, just kind of as a follow-up to my future here, I'm looking forward to working with, uh, with Caleb and his organization to kind of get back to what is hopefully a post pandemic world. And, uh, and utilize those resources. Like I said, I'm new here, looking forward to creating a, a, a robust pharmacy program for Munson and, and looking forward to the future here. Well, that's a great note to end it on. We are looking forward to uh, the future and um, everything that, uh, you know, a more game back to game back to normal and the normal challenges. <laughs> there are always challenges and, and lean and continuous improvement um, can help us address those. So, um, Caleb and Butch, thank you again. Thank you so much for, um, sharing your perspectives and experiences. I think it's really, really interesting and, um, you know, hopefully really inspiring to others as well. Thanks, Mark. Great. Thank you. Well, thanks again to Caleb and Butch for being such great guests. Thanks again to Styles Associates for being a sponsor. If you want to find links and show notes and a transcript and more, again, you can go to leanblog.org slash 418. I really appreciate you listening and taking the time to do so. Please follow, rate, and review the podcast if you haven't already done so. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.